you're all aware that today is the countdown. It's a pretty unique day of the year because today, un, you know, unlike any other day, people pay attention very much to time. You know, what time of the day it is, how much time is left in the day. And it's not just us as Americans. You know, a lot of times the things we do as Americans, it doesn't always translate to the rest of the world. Like maybe the polar bear plunge on New Year's Day. My guess is that when most countries think about a, a good New Year's resolution, they don't think hypothermia. <laughs> but in almost every nation on earth, people are thinking about and paying attention to the concept of time today. It's the last day of the year. I mean, what other day do we watch the clock carefully until midnight? And then we count out loud the final seconds. Usually we just go to sleep every other night of the year. But, you know, tonight people get together. A lot of them will stand out in the cold and then they'll count backwards. I mean, if it wasn't New Year's Eve, that scene would look a little bizarre. But the reason I bring this up is because I recently came across this concept of a countdown as I was going through the book of Jeremiah. I for the last month or so, I've been reading through the book, and at some point, it just it struck me that, man, this, this entire book is like one really long countdown. Really long. In fact, Jeremiah is the longest book in the Bible. I don't know if you're aware of that, but there's over 33,000 words, more words in the original language than any other book in the Bible. So Psalms may have the most chapters, Ezekiel and Leviticus may feel like the longest when you're reading them, <laughs> but Jeremiah is actually longer. And through most of the book, Jeremiah is telling the people that something is about to happen. Judgment is coming. And it's going to happen in his lifetime. So that means that the people he's talking to are going to experience it, just like, you know, most likely every one of us are going to experience the new year because it's just hours away. But throughout the book of Jeremiah, he's telling the people of Judah that God is going to judge them. And with each warning, it's like another tick on the clock. Until finally you come to the end of the book and time is up. The very last chapter of the book, Jeremiah 52, you read about what happens. The city of Jerusalem was was burned, the temple was destroyed, and the people were taken as captives away to Babylon, which is exactly what Jeremiah was warning them about the entire book. So as I went through the book of Jeremiah, I just kind of highlighted a few things that to me stood out as kind of big themes for the book. And when I looked at those themes, I thought, man, this has a lot of application for us today. So that's what I want to share with you this morning. I want to look at some of the major themes of Jeremiah and how they apply or relate to us here at Whitestone. Here are the four major themes that I came across. Number one, judgment is coming. Number two, God sends many warnings. Number three, repentance brings mercy. And number four, God restores all things. So we'll just go through each one of these and briefly look at how they apply to us today. Number one, judgment is coming. And this is the part of the book that kind of is like a countdown. 
throughout the entire book. Almost every chapter, it talks about a coming judgment. And I just have a few of them here. Jeremiah 4, 5 to 7. Declare in Judah and proclaim in Jerusalem, I bring disaster from the north and great destruction. A destroyer of nations has set out to make your land a waste. Your cities will be in ruins without inhabitant. Chapter 9, verse 11 and 16. I will make Jerusalem a heap of ruins, a lair of jackals. I will make the cities of Judah a desolation without inhabitant. I will scatter them among the nations. Chapter 16, 9 and 13. Behold, I will silence in this place before your eyes and in your days the voice of mirth and the voice of gladness, the voice of the bridegroom and the voice of the bride. Therefore, I will hurl you out of this land and into a land that neither you nor your fathers have known, for I will show you no favor. Chapter 19, verse 15. Behold, I am bringing upon this city and upon all its towns all the disaster that I have pronounced against it, because they have stiffened their neck, refusing to hear my words. Chapter 20, verse 4 and 5. I will give all Judah into the hand of the king of Babylon. I will give all the wealth of the city, all its gains, all its prized belongings, and all the treasures of the kings of Judah into the hand of their enemies, who shall plunder them and seize them and carry them to Babylon. Chapter 21, verse 10. For I have set my face against this city for harm and not for good, declares the Lord. It shall be given into the hand of the king of Babylon, and he shall burn it with fire. And then finally, chapter 37, 7 and 8. Thus says the Lord, God of Israel, the Chaldeans, Babylon, shall come back and fight against this city. They shall capture it and burn it with fire. You get the idea. Unfortunately, the people of Judah didn't. Over and over again, God told the people through Jeremiah what he intended to do. He was going to bring judgment on them, and he told them exactly what that judgment would be, who it was that would come and conquer them, what they would suffer, and where they would be taken. Their judgment was spelled out for them very clearly many times until the day that it finally happened. Now, from this, I think it's pretty simple to see there is an application for us. If you sit in these seats here this morning and you haven't yet put your faith in God and aren't truly following Christ with your life, then you should know that your judgment is coming. God has told us that this will happen many times in his word. Even in the New Testament, you look at Matthew 13, 41 to 43. The Son of Man will send his angels and they will gather out of his kingdom all causes of sin and all lawbreakers and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. He who has ears, let him hear. And then also later in chapter 25 of Matthew 41 and 46. Then he will say to those on his left, depart from me. You cursed into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. Both of these passages I read are the words of Jesus himself. And there are many others like this. 
And if the words of a prophet like Jeremiah came true, you can be sure that the words of Jesus will. Over and over again, throughout the Gospels, Jesus announces a coming judgment on all those who don't follow and live for him, like a countdown each time. And even if you are a believer, even if you do follow Christ this morning, we have to remember that we also will be judged. There is a judgment set aside for us as well. Paul says in Romans 14, 12, so then each of us will give an account of himself to God. 2 Corinthians 5.10 says, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. And then in 1 Corinthians 3.15-17, Each one's work will become manifest, for the day will disclose it, and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. So as believers, our salvation is secure, but every believer must stand before Christ and give an account for how he or she lived as a believer on this earth. You know, did we use our life to serve him? Did we tell others about him? Or did we waste all our time? that he gave us on sports or TV or Facebook or shopping or whatever. We've all been given a certain amount of time, and that time is always counting down. Speaking of sports, it's kind of like a quarterback. If you ever listen to commentators, a lot of times they will talk about whether a quarterback has a good internal clock or not. And it's basically just saying that the quarterback needs to be aware how much time he's taking before he needs to pass the ball or start running. Otherwise, he will be sacked. That's kind of what we need as Christians, is a good internal clock. We need to constantly be aware that the time we have on this earth is always getting shorter. It's always running down. And so we shouldn't stand around either. We need to pass along the gospel or start running harder after Christ, before suddenly death puts us in the ground. So first, judgment is coming. Secondly, God sends many warnings. I mean, this wasn't the first time that God told the Israelites that a judgment was coming if they refused to follow him. It didn't start with Jeremiah at all. The truth is God sent many prophets over the course of hundreds of years to warn them. Jeremiah was simply the last in a long line of prophets that warned Israel. Look at what it says in Jeremiah chapter 7, 25 and 26. From the day that your fathers came out of the land of Egypt to this day, I have persistently sent all my servants, the prophets, to them day after day. Yet they did not listen to me or incline their ear, but stiffened their neck. They did worse than their fathers. Chapter 11, 7 and 8. For I solemnly warned your fathers when I brought them up out of the land of Egypt, warning them persistently, even to this day, saying, Obey my voice. Yet they did not obey or incline their ear, but everyone walked in the stubbornness of his evil heart. Chapter 25, 3 and 4. For 23 years the word of the Lord has come to me, and I have spoken persistently to you, but you have not listened. 
You have neither listened nor inclined your ears to hear, although the Lord persistently sent to you all his servants, the prophets. Chapter 32, verse 33. They have turned to me their back and not their face. And though I have taught them persistently, they have not listened to receive instruction. Chapter 35, 14 and 50. I have spoken to you persistently, but you have not listened to me. I have sent you all my servants, the prophets, saying, Turn now, every one of you, from his evil way and amend your deeds. and Do not go after other gods to serve them. But you did not incline your ear or listen to me. And finally, 44, verse 4 and 5. Yet I persistently sent to you all my servants, the prophets, saying, Oh, do not do this abomination that I hate. But they did not listen or incline their ear to turn from their evil and make no offerings to other gods. The one thing you can definitely conclude from these passages is that God is persistent. God is persistent. And you have to realize, because this is just one book, Jeremiah warned the Israelites, it says, for well over 20 years, but God had been sending prophets to the Israelites to turn from their evil for a thousand years, nearly a thousand years. When you realize that the Israelites came out of Egypt around 1450 BC, and Jeremiah is warning them in the late 500s BC. So it's about a thousand years that God had been warning them through a long line of prophets. As it says, God was persistent, but the Israelites remained stubborn. So again, if you're here this morning, but you're not living a life that pleases God, then you need to be aware that there is a coming judgment. And that one thing that you will definitely not be able to say is that God didn't warn you. Every time you come to church, this church or any other, that's just one way that God warns you. Right now, God is warning you through the book of Jeremiah. Anytime that you're around Christians, that's just another way that God warns. You know what they believe. They talk about their faith. Or maybe you grew up in a Christian home. In that case, you've had thousands of warnings all growing up. Or anytime that you realize that you've done something wrong and you feel guilty about it or you feel regret, that's another way that God warns you that you need his forgiveness. If you ever come across Christian literature, if you ever hear music that refers to God, there are so many different ways that God will use to remind us that we need to start following him before it's too late. God is persistent. And sometimes we don't even need a reminder. We may be just laying back on our bed thinking, and suddenly it comes to the front of our mind. What am I doing with my life? I know I should be following God. God is warning you persistently. But again, it's not just unbelievers that can find application through this. Even us who follow Christ, sometimes, you know, there may be some of us right now who are caught in a sin that we are refusing to let go of. A sin that maybe we are hiding. A relationship that we know is wrong. A habit that we know is impure a way of making money that is unethical and that we know doesn't please God at all. God is patient. He will take the time to warn us. He convicts us of our sin. But you have to remember that the whole purpose 
of us being a child of God is so that we can have a relationship with him and that he can use us here on this earth. And neither of those can happen if we're clinging to any sin in our life. So eventually God will discipline us because we're his children. Like it says in Hebrews 12, 6 and 11, For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to the one who has been trained by it. God will discipline his true children for their good. However, you can save yourself a lot of pain, you can save the people around you, the consequences of your sin, if you turn away willingly before God is forced to act. So number one, judgment is coming. Second theme, God sends many warnings. Number three, repentance brings mercy. And this is where I think there's a lot of misunderstanding a lot of times because usually people a lot of times think that in the Old Testament, you know, God just all the time brought judgment upon nations without too much of a thought about behind it. And then eventually he decided to focus a little bit more on his mercy and forgiveness, so he sent Jesus. And obviously this is ridiculous. When you read the Old Testament, you see that God is very patient and merciful. For example, you remember Sodom and Gomorrah? I mean, they were extremely wicked and evil. But God said that even if there were 10 people, just 10 people in the entire city, he would not destroy it. In Genesis 18, 32, it says, Then he, Abraham, said, Oh, let not the Lord be angry, and I will speak again but this once. Suppose 10 are found there. He, Lord, answered, For the sake of 10, I will not destroy it. Just 10 people. And God would have shown mercy to that city. But of course, there weren't even 10 people in the entire city that feared God. Or remember Nineveh. Do you remember Nineveh? I mean, this was a city that was so wicked that even a prophet, whose job it is to warn people of, dis- of judgment, would rather see it destroyed and run away. Jonah cho- took his chances and disobeyed God rather than go and give Nineveh a chance to repent. That's how evil this city was. Of course, Jonah eventually warned them. Nineveh repented, and God showed mercy. In Jonah 3.10, it says, When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them, and he did not do it. So when it comes to the nation of Israel, it's no surprise that God is so patient with them. After hundreds of years of wickedness, after thousands of warnings, after sending prophets persistently to them, God still says, it's not too late. If you will turn back to me, even now, even at this very, very late hour, I will show mercy to you. Jeremiah 4, 14, it says, O Jerusalem, wash your heart from evil that you may be saved. Chapter 7, 5 to 7, For if you truly amend your ways and your deeds, if you truly execute justice one with another, 
If you do not oppress the sojourner, the fatherless, or the widow, or shed innocent blood in this place, and if you do not go after other gods to your own harm, then I will let you dwell in this place, in the land that I gave of old to your fathers forever. Chapter 15, verse 19. Therefore, thus says the Lord, if you return, I will restore you, and you shall stand before me. Chapter 26, verse 2 and 3. Thus says the Lord, stand in the court of the Lord's house and speak to all the cities of Judah that come to worship in the house of the Lord, all the words that I command you to speak to them. Do not hold back a word. It may be that they will listen and everyone turn from his evil way that I may relent of the disaster that I intend to do to them because of their evil deeds. And then finally, chapter 36, 1 and 3. This word came to Jeremiah from the Lord. Take a scroll and write on it all the words that I have spoken to you against Israel and Judah and all the nations. From the day I spoke to you, from the days of Josiah until today, it may be that the house of Judah will hear all the disaster that I intend to do to them so that everyone may turn from his evil way and that I may forgive their iniquity and their sin. It's pretty clear to see what the heart of God truly is. God wants to forgive. He wants to show mercy. He wants to give every possible opportunity for people to turn from sin and follow him. Even though God had been greatly offended for so long by so many, he still wants to show mercy. And it's the same way that he deals with us. God desires that all would come to him for forgiveness and be saved from the punishment that is awaiting them. In 1 Timothy 2, verse 3 and 4, it says, God our Savior who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. 2 Peter 3, 9, The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And in Ezekiel 18, 23, Have I any pleasure in the death of the wicked, declares the Lord God, and not rather that he should turn from his evil way and live? So if this is you, don't wait any longer. God promises to forgive you, to show mercy, and to forget everything in your past, and to welcome you as a child of his, if you repent and turn and follow him. And again, the same is true for us who already are a child of his but are maybe struggling with some sin or holding on to sin. God is still pleading with you to avoid the painful consequences of your sin and instead to experience his mercy and his help. So first, judgment is coming. Second, God sends many warnings. Third, repentance brings mercy. And finally, God restores all things. For the people of Judah, I mean, this probably seemed like the end of their nation. This was the end of Israel. It felt like there was no hope. Judgment was coming. Their nation would be conquered. Their city would be burned. The temple would be destroyed. And the people would be taken as captives 
to Babylon. But that wouldn't be the end. It wasn't the end. God made a promise to the nation of Israel through Abraham and Moses and David, and he still intended to fulfill that promise to them. And that meant that one day he would bring his people back to the land that he'd given them, the promised land, and they would flourish there more than they ever have. Look at Jeremiah 23, verse 3. It says, Then I will gather the remnant of my flock out of all the countries where I have driven them, and I will bring them back to their fold, and they shall be fruitful and multiply. Chapter 24, 5 and 6. I will regard as good the exiles from Judah, whom I have sent away from this place to the land of Chaldeans. I will set my eyes on them for good, and I will bring them back to this land. I will build them up and not tear them down. I will plant them and not pluck them up. 29, 10, 11. When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you, and I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Chapter 30, verse 3. I will restore the fortunes of my people, Israel and Judah, says the Lord, and I will bring them back to the land that I gave to their fathers, and they shall take possession of it. And then finally, chapter 32, 37, 40, and 41. Behold, I will gather them from all the countries to which I drove them in my anger and my wrath and great indignation. I will bring them back to this place, and I will make them dwell in safety. I will not turn away from doing good to them. I will rejoice in doing them good, and I will plant them in this land in faithfulness with all my heart and all my soul. So even though God was announcing judgment on Israel for all their sin and wickedness, he gave them many warnings, persistent warnings. He kept offering mercy if they repented, and he even offered encouragement to them that after they were judged, he would bring them back and bless them forever. And that's amazing. And the same is true for us who follow Christ. Right now, as God's children here on this earth, we look around us at the world and, I mean, we see so much evil, so much suffering, and it seems, it appears hopeless. I mean, it appears hopeless to us. Every day it's something new. Fires out west, hurricanes down south, major earthquakes worldwide, sex trafficking in this area, millions of babies killed through abortion, major corruption everywhere, Christians being tortured all around the world, the porn industry making billions, the suicide rate going way up, marriages and families falling apart. I mean, things are not the way they should be. And as Christians, it sometimes it feels like things are hopeless. We don't feel comfortable in this world just like the Israelites didn't feel comfortable as exiles in Babylon. But the good news is God has given us a similar promise that he gave to Israel. He promises to restore us to our true home in heaven and to bless us forever. John 14, 1-3. It's a passage you're probably familiar with. Let not your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. 
And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself that where I am, you may be also. God will take us from this earth and bring us to our true home in heaven. And then God will restore this earth and make a new earth and bring heaven down and we will live here forever. No more sin, no more pain, no more suffering, no more tears. That's what he promises. All things will be made new. Revelation 21, 4 and 5. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. All things will be made new. God has made sure to encourage us and to give us all the hope that we need as, we, as long as we live in this world. So for those who follow Christ, the countdown is good news. We're that much closer to heaven. For those who don't follow Christ, the countdown is bad news. You're that much closer to judgment. But for all of us, the countdown is getting shorter all the time. We're getting closer to when we come to that very last tick on the clock. So my encouragement to you is that tonight, if you stay up and you count down the minutes and the seconds before the new year, remember the book of Jeremiah. And remember that God's judgment is coming and that he warns us persistently. But also remember that he shows mercy to any who will repent and that very soon he will restore all things and set up his kingdom on this earth. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Almighty, all-powerful God and ruler of this earth. Lord, we thank you that you have given us so much opportunity through your word and even in this book of Jeremiah, whom you spoke through. And throughout the Gospels, Lord, in so many ways you are speaking to us and reminding us and bringing to our attention these truths which we need to keep in mind. And I pray that for those who are not believing and following you, Lord, please, this morning, may they understand how important, how urgent it is to give their life to you. Lord, I pray for us who do follow, that may be struggling with sin, that it is time. Help us, Holy Spirit. Help us to turn away, to let go, and to cling to you and receive your mercy. Lord, we know you will restore all things. We have that promise. We hold tightly to it. Thank you so much for these promises, and I pray that they would be even more real and refreshing and encouraging as we start a new year that the day that you return and restore all things has just gotten closer. We pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.